Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. And welcome to episode 375 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. So it's birthday week for you as it listeners are is. hearing this. Happy birthday, Eve. Thank you. Okay. So obviously, we are not actually recording this the day before my birthday. That would take some doing to actually record something and have it go live like on the same day. I'm not sure we've I'm ever not, pulled that off before. Oh, I'm not going to say we've <laughs> never done that for sure. A day turnaround if needed. <laughs> But we are recording this about a week ahead. But yes, uh, my birthday, as of when you're listening to this, will be tomorrow, um, birthday eve. I will be up in the UP, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, with my family. And this is a big birthday for me. So I'm turning 45. And that feels very, like, I don't know. It feels big. I know 40 was big. But for some reason, the five-year birthdays almost feel bigger to me. Because when you're midway through a decade, it's like you're really in it now. Like, I'm really in my 40s now. And I was doing a little fun mental math and realized that um, five years from now, I will have been a mom for 30 years and my youngest will be going, you know, off into college or wherever, like she'll be graduated from high school by this point in five years, in five years. So I'll be 50, mom for 30 years and last kid leaving the house. And that's just, that's big. That's a lot of big milestones coming up in five years. Well, it is. And the last five years, I feel like, it sounds so cliche, but it kind of flew by because I was it at did. your 40th and you are about two and a half years older than I am. So I'm always like your milestones come up before mine. And I'm like not even I mean, I'm 42 and a half now. I'm like, so I remember your 40th yeah. and then remember anticipating my 40th. And now that's not even that recently. But yet it feels like it has gone by fast. And I'm sure for Longtime listeners, I mean, this is the podcast is seven and a half years old. So we as a yeah. podcast are the better part of a decade. Where does the time go? I mean, and I it's so cliche, obviously, but 
it goes by faster, the longer, like as, as time goes by, it's like picking up speed. And the last five years are a lot of, in a lot of ways, kind of a blur, like a lot happened, Mm -hmm. but I guess I just went from 40 to 45, like without really realizing it. So here I am. And the same thing is going to happen in the next five years. Yeah. So it's kind of fun because on my podcast, Mother of Reinvention, um, which comes out Thursday of this week. So in two days, you're going to interview me. I am. We're going to talk more about this midlife stuff and mid 40s stuff. Um, And I hope everybody will go listen to that. We'll be sure to link that up in the show notes. But I kind of want to will you paint me a picture of celebrating your birthday mid vacation in the Upper (laughs) Peninsula with family all around. So you, you reference this camping trip that you do every year, but I feel like even for me who knows your situation pretty well, like I, I lose the details of like, it's your whole extended family. Are you camping? How does one celebrate a birthday mid like being off the grid and all that? Well, what's okay. So this year will be a little bit different. Yes. This is usually a camping trip where, um, my brother, John and his wife, Jenna, and then my brother, Buck, and his wife, Kelly, and my sister, Catherine, and her husband, Eric, and like as many of the kids as is reasonable to have there. And that number fluctuates a lot. Like Catherine's kids are in their 20s and in 30s now. So like there's a wide range and I yeah. have older kids. But as many of the kids as are still interested and able to go, um, would go. And some would like tent camp. Um, my brother, John, had a camper, like an RV for years. My brother, Buck, has like a little tow behind the camper, but they've had some years where they tent camped. And uh, I would either tent camp or sometimes like bunk up in the RV and then the kids would all tent camp. This year, John and Jenna sold their RV because their kids are just getting older and they're not using it as much. So they're, they are getting a cabin and I am getting a cabin. Catherine and Eric have a really neat little setup on their truck where it's like there's like a mattress that goes in and then like a tent that goes over the bed of the truck. And then the kids will just kind of flop where they are. And the boys, I think, will still sleep outside. And Buck, I think, is going to come in one of the cabins with us. So all that to say, we're not going to exactly be off the grid. Like we'll have, you know, Wi-Fi and electricity like okay. because we'll be the yeah. cabins will have like electricity. They're not rustic cabins. Um, as far as my birthday goes, this is going to be the first and we always go like around this time of year, but I've always managed to swing it so that my birthday is like at the end or the beginning. So I've had a birthday celebration at, at home right. or like with you, I had, you know, that other event. Um, but this time it'll be like midway through the trip. So I have requested a karaoke party. Ooh, nice. Um, the campground has a bar and grill Okay. and we're hoping they might let us like throw a party in there maybe after hours, but we did call. We're not sure that's going to work out because of staffing issues and stuff like that. So if that doesn't happen, I don't know. I guess we'll all just hang out. It'll be different, but that's okay. It will be. My mom has a holiday vacation birthday, but at the the winter holidays, but her birthday's between Christmas and New Year's. So it's just a week where it's almost always some kind of family gathering and um, she, I think in like midlife, like at our age and forward, really loved the fact that it was like not a normal routine birthday, but like a time where you were almost guaranteed to have nieces and nephews and cousins and yeah. like a just a raucous family gathering. So I hope I hope. Yeah, it's and really I mean, fun. I, I like to celebrate my birthday, but like I'm not really too hung up on the method of right. celebration or even really needing to have a ton of control over that. Like. Last year, I kind of planned it a few days before I wound up at a local restaurant with some close friends. The year before that, I think was COVID, right? 
Yeah. So a friend of mine like gave us her backyard. It was when people were starting to bring chairs, but like not too yeah. close together and sit in people's backyards. And the year before that, I don't remember what I did. So, I mean, it's every year is a little bit different anyway. Some, and some years I honestly don't do anything. Like there's been years where I just, I guess, go out to dinner and go home. Have it's not like a big day. deal. Yeah. Yeah. Have a normal day. So, well, we will yeah. be thinking of you up there Thanks. this week. So happy, happy birthday. Um, I guess we should say that this is a listener questions episode. Yeah, we didn't um, get to that yet, did we? <laughs> we're a little looser in the summer, friends. We're often yeah. recording like a whole bunch at once or recording way ahead or recording at the last minute. Um, so hopefully you, you know, checked your podcast app and you know that what we are doing today is a continuation of last week, uh, where we are answering questions that have come in from listeners. And we, we typically do these in pairs. So you don't have to listen to last week's episode. They don't, um, they don't rely on you going one and then the other, but it's just sort of puts us in that headspace for a couple of different episodes. And we have four more questions today. And also, just like last week, we added a fun element this time. We uh, extended the opportunity to our very wise team of contributors who are real moms from all around the country um, to let them weigh in on some of these listener questions. And Megan, I think this is this is like such a great thing. I want our audience to hear wise words that are not just our own because there's Absolutely. Such, there's wisdom from within the larger community. And then there's certainly wisdom on our team of contributor moms um, who just have like different life experiences than we do and kids of different ages. Yeah. And um, so we did that last week. You heard from a couple of our team members as they weighed in on these listener questions. And it doesn't it doesn't mean we're sitting here silent. We will always have things to say. Um, but to include those additional voices has been really fun. Yeah. I mean, we, we only have lived the lives we've lived, right? So yeah. the perspectives we have are naturally limited and it's great to bring in other smart moms to share their ideas. So Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite Factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. <laughs> and I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. 
It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code MOMHOUR. Well, our first question is from Sherry, who is a longtime listener and a very prolific emailer. She, we hear from her all the time, which we really love. Um, and Sherry, her question is something I think a lot of us in this teen tween uh, kid age range can relate to, and that's getting a first phone. So we'll listen to Sherry's question. Hi, Megan and Sarah. It's Sherry Tiernan. My question for you is how you both handled giving your children their first cell phone. Um, My son will be turning 11 in July. He just finished up fifth grade and will be moving into middle school in the fall. He's been begging for a phone for close to two years now, and we've been able to kind of put it off, but we are starting to leave him home alone for short periods of time, and we don't have a landline here at the house So want to be able to get a hold of him and then have him be able to, you know, get a hold of us if needed as well. The phone that we got him is called a Gab phone, and it was recommended to us by one of our neighbors. Her younger kids, who are eight and nine, actually have this phone. It doesn't have access to the Internet, which is awesome for parents, but um, my son's probably not going to like that as much. But it can call, it can text, play music, and take pictures. Um, we're hoping, you know, if we can get maybe a year, possibly two out of this phone before he gets a smartphone, that would be awesome for us. But just trying to establish some good boundaries and rules from the beginning. And I just wondered how you both handled this with your kids. I would appreciate any advice you have for me. Thank you both so much. Bye. Okay, Sherry. Well, thank you for braving the voicemail. I know we have people tell us like, I hate the sound of my own voice. And that's really normal. I mean, podcasters hate the sounds of their own voices. Yes, often. I do. Yes, yes, yes yeah. I do sometimes. Yeah. But it's fun for us to hear from you, Sherry, especially because we've loved corresponding by email over the years. Um, so this is a great one. Great question. I guess with with technology answers in general, I just feel like there are so many... Um, individual situations that are going to make whatever we say today just land with some people and not land with other people. And Megan, I was thinking about the fact that we have eight kids between us, um, all but my youngest. So seven of our eight have graduated to some kind of first phone. And for you, with your older two boys, it was like before smartphones even. So we, just as two moms, can speak to basically eight different... um, decision-making trees that we've gone through around these, um, like Sherry said, like setting expectations, responsibilities, what's expected of the kid in caring for their first phone, in using their first phone. Um, so all that to say, I'll, I'll throw out a couple of things that have worked for my kids and my family, but this is so individualized and so dependent on 
your situation. Um, a family whose kid is taking the subway independently at 12 or 13 in New York City is going to have different phone expectations and needs than a family with a landline in rural Montana. So that's a that's a lot of disclaimer, Megan. Where should we start with this specific question of Sherry's? Well, as I'm thinking back, so you just mentioned, you know, that when my oldest kids got their first phones, they weren't smartphones. And for a second, I'm like, wait, is that even true? And this is how much like my memory of this time of this decision-making tree that happened five separate times in my family, how blurry it is because there's so many like data points along the timeline. Mm -hmm. And like, I changed my mind. We backed off of things. So I'll just Mm, share a, a little story right now that I think is very telling. Um, when we were moving, we found a folder of Isaac's old school papers. So he graduated in 2018 and this was probably 2012, these school papers. So I guess he was like 13, something like that. And, um, I was looking at these papers and one of them was a persuasive essay that he had to write for a class. So he would have been in seventh or eighth grade, something like that. And it was about why he thought at the age of 13 that he should be allowed to text in his bedroom. Mm. So I have no memory of this, but I must've had a rule. I think actually at though, in those days we made the kids wait till they were 13 to get phones. So yeah, he would have been at least 13 and I would not let, in fact, I don't even think I would let the kids have their phones on the second floor at all. So this wasn't even like a only at bedtime thing, right. like keep your phones out of there. It was like you keep, you use them in, in the basically public within, space. in the public space where yeah. I can see you. And he was, well, it was a very well-written technically essay. It was dripping <laughs> with disdain <laughs> for us and our stupid rules And I read it and was laughing so hard. I mean, he made some really good logical points. Like, why can't I text in my room when blah, 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 when like, like the kids are allowed to come in here and trash it, like stuff like that, which wasn't really, they weren't really allowed to go in there and trash it, but he, he had some beef. He had some beef with um, the entire family and it was coming out through him not being able to have his phone in his room. And I was just laughing because first of all, I have no such rules now. I mean, they're not allowed to like, if, if there's a problem with their sleep or behavior, mm-hmm. I might start pulling back on phone use in their room, but Clara can use her phone in her bedroom. I don't have restrictions on that. And she's 13. Um, there's also a lot more trouble Clara can get into than Isaac could. He didn't really have access to much. I think he might've had like YouTube existed, but I don't think it was on his phone back then. Mm-hmm. So it truly was like texting, maybe browsing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure there was much else you could you could do well mm-hmm. uh, in 2012 on your phone, and so not only was it late, like not only was it later that he could get the phone. My rules were more restrictive, and there was less he could do back then. And then it slowly, yeah. you know, it slowly slid. It slid for lots of reasons, like five kids. That's one reason. Um, time goes on, and you become an older and more tired mom. That's yeah. one reason. But also, uh, their dad and I divorced. And suddenly we needed every kid in the house to have a phone because there were kids that were going to be home after school and we're going to need to check in with one parent or the other. And somewhere along the line, we stopped having a landline. Right. Um, so there was no way for them to do that. And there was oftentimes when there was confusion over who was getting picked up by whom, or even if the confusion, John and I weren't confused, but the kid might be confused. Yep. So Clara got her first cell phone. I want to say at nine, some eight or nine, she was very young. Um, for a while it was like a really stripped down phone, but now, but then at some point someone had an iPhone to pass down. So now she's got an iPhone Uh, and some, I think her iPhone for a long time was nicer than mine. I got a better one now, but anyway, my point is like, 
it's changed so many times. And if I had to go back and map like where, like where my mind was when I made every one of those decisions, the like process of deciding would sometimes look like just not really having the brain or emotional space to decide yeah. and just kind of going with what was easiest. Or sometimes it was a reaction to reality and like what our circumstances were. Right. Sometimes it was a backing off of something I had like a rule that I had set or a rule that I didn't set and decided I needed to set. It was all over the place. So yeah. I guess that's all. I'm just sharing a long anecdote that reminded me of how things have changed, but really how fluid the whole thing has been. So what is interesting is I don't think of myself as a very fluid rule setter. I think listeners would expect that I would be uh, full of structure and strategery and phone contracts and established rules when it comes to phone parenting. And for whatever reason, I haven't been. I have also been what I'll, I'll use the word responsive, like responsive in my and adaptive in my phone parenting. Um, and part of this is because I think a lot of what Sherry's talking about. So her son is going to be able to text on this phone, keep in touch with mom and dad, keep in touch with friends. So much of that world has to do with the peer group that a kid is in. Um, I'm experiencing mm. this right now because one of Violet's closest friends, Violet is nine and a half entering fourth grade. That would not have been an age where we would have had like texting as even a, an option yet with my other two kids. Um, but one of her very close friends was just diagnosed with type one diabetes, which required that family to get a phone because it's tied to glucose monitoring. And that's like that's a whole different story. But for whatever for this reason, this family nine year old now has a phone and it's one of Violet's closest friends. And they have been having fun texting this summer because they're not seeing each other as much. And because Violet's my third kid, I'm like, yeah, sure. That's fine. Like, yeah. I, I know the family. They're sending each other. They're like sweet, very innocent little texts. But that is a situation specific scenario like you were talking about with divorce or separation. Like there are things that come up that I think invite us to question what we thought quote unquote rules would be in our house. And for some reason, I think phones and internet feel more fraught and we sometimes feel more guilt or second guessing if we relax our rules or adapt our rules around this sphere of parenting. And I would just challenge that a little bit um, and remind you, it's still just one of the areas where you are going to have to check in with your co-parent, listen to your gut, um, adapt as needed resist the urge to do what every other mom on the block is doing. And that's no different than any other aspect of parenting. It's just that I yeah. think there's been so much research and so many articles and headlines on this topic over the last few years that we somehow feel those that flexibility and adaptability and go with your gutness doesn't apply because it's phones yeah, like you and have to have a plan and, and yes, there's scary yeah. stuff on there. Um, so I want to speak to, you mentioned the phone, Isaac and the phone in the room. And I think a big question parents have is around like privacy, not, uh, I'm not talking about identity privacy at like the meta level, but, um, more like, does your kid deserve or have they earned privacy with their own text message conversations? And I think this is like a specific thing I can speak to, um, for what we do. We also do no phones in bedrooms. For the most part, although even with that, sometimes my kids will ask permission to um, listen to music or an audiobook, and 
their door is open and I'm home and around and I'll make an exception to that rule. But for the most part, my kids aren't texting or internetting in their rooms with the door closed for right now. Um, and, but, and they'll leave their phones on the counter. And what I have said about texting and like privacy with their friends is I have said, you know, I want to give you the most amount of just as just in the same way, I wouldn't stand outside your door and eavesdrop on a playdate conversation. Um, I'm not going to go into your texts and read everything by the same token or on the other side, I guess I should say, I walked by that playdate and I heard something that concerned me um, on the play date, I reserve the right to be like, hey, what's going on, everybody? Like, everybody okay? And with texting, if I see something pop up or I have any reason to be concerned, I also reserve the right to ask you some questions about it to, and even to go in and read if I feel concerned. So I've sort of told them that like the privacy is a bit conditional um, and that I'm, I'm going forward trusting and giving them privacy until my spidey says my spidey sense says otherwise. And there have been a couple of times where I am like docking my kid's phone as a favor. Like I'm, I'm plugging it into the Mm. charger and the screen will show up with like the most recent text. And it's just been something that it's not that I'm freaking out. It's just that I want a little more information about. And then I will go to that kid and I'll just say really honestly, you know, like I saw this pop up from so-and-so. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And often it invites a conversation. It hasn't been like an accusatory thing. So that is the way we have approached um, privacy. And I know there are parents who are more, who want their kids to have even more privacy than that. And are, and I really feel strongly about not looking at their kids texts. And there are other parents who are looking at every single text that comes through and it's a spectrum. So that's where I am personally right now. Um, I'm very similar, Sarah. And I will say that the benefit I see to that, and I'm, again, there are parents on both way other ends of the spectrum that yeah. feel very strongly one way or the other. So I, you know, I'm not going to criticize that or necessarily speak to that. I will say one benefit to having that approach is that the kids are like appropriately wary, mm-hmm. but not so wary that they start hiding or sneaking. Yeah. Um, I just have like, my kids are very smart. They're smarter than me about the internet. And if they, and they also have access to multiple devices. So like their phone is not the only way they can carry on like illicit internet <laughs> activities should they want to. They probably could figure out how to do it on my computer without me even knowing. I mean, that's how yeah. kind of like smart these kids can get about stuff. So my approach has been, I think I could probably count on certainly no more than both hands, but probably more like one hand. How many times I've actually taken my kids' phones and like gotten into their texts and read them not just like as on a passing way, like you're describing, like, oh, I, I noticed the notification and the first line or whatever, but like truly like doing recon work yeah. and they weren't expecting it. So what I got, like the details I got were more useful yep. than had it been them spreading themselves around different apps, deleting their messages, right. hiding avoiding, things like they weren't hiding anything. They right. weren't expecting it. So that was like one big benefit. And the other benefit was, I think that the establishment that like you have privacy as long as you earn it, but ultimately the buck stops here and I have to be like, I'm also paying for the phone. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. I still get to check in. You're my kid. And I get to check in if I have to. Um, They know that I'm not doing it like just to be nosy mm-hmm. or to like, exert my control and power over them. And usually when I've done it, they know, like 
they know Mm -hmm. there's the reason and the ad, like the dynamic around it is not them slamming their door and going in their room mad at me because I'm spying on them again, but more like in some cases, just like, yeah, I screwed up, you know, and this is what happens when you screw up. So there's Mm -hmm. been that or relief. Like there's been at least one, possibly two um, situations I can think of right off the top of my head where a kid got sucked into some nasty online dynamics and didn't know how to get themselves out of it because their friends knew they had a phone and their friends knew they could be available. And then, and the reason it, um, that I was tipped off wasn't because I saw, I didn't see any change in like their outward behavior. I didn't see any questionable messages come through. What I saw is that they were like real anxious around their phone and anytime it would buzz, they wanted to look at it right away because I think they felt like if they didn't respond right away, they would be, Mm -hmm. you know, ostracized or whatever. And taking the phone away was a big relief to them because then they could just tell them, sorry, my mom took my phone. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was kind of like the code word. (laughs) Yeah. When you call from a sleepover that you don't want to be like parents stepping in sometimes is like, even if the kids resisted a little bit they're they have an out and they're relieved for that. So it's just a, I don't know, just, I think again, there's, there's something to be said for approaches all over the place, but that was, that would be the benefits to the approach. It sounds like both of us have kind of landed on. And I just, as a final note, I think Sherry is at the beginning of this with an 11 year old who it sounds like they've gone with a phone that already has no internet browsing capabilities. So, so you really have training wheels on. And the, the sweet thing about an 11 year old is like, it's pretty likely this kid is not trying very hard to get in trouble on their phone. They're probably very excited to be able to send funny pictures to and from their friends. And there will be, um, I talked about this actually on a recent episode. I think it was glad I did wish I'd done technology and we can link that up. But I talked about the benefit to like having those training wheel phone experiences is that kids get to practice the life skills, like keeping it charged, um, like how to send a polite text to grandma and grandpa rather than like this, the bruh that you're going to send to your friends. Mm. Like there's some life skills and some communication skills that you will be able to have um, a heavier hand in Sherry because yeah. 11 is a sweet and malleable age. So if you yeah. delayed all the way till 14, as some families decide to do, you're just, you're doing a different type of training wheels training. So I think it will probably go better than you think, honestly, Sherry, um, just because of the thoughtfulness you've already put into it. And some of what you and I just spoke to Megan is more like 13, 14, 15, 16 year old stuff. Yeah. And the good news is you've got, you've got time Sherry to practice with those training wheels. So I think it will probably just be fun and great. And I kids agree. send and really funny text messages to their parents. It's delightful, actually. They do. And keep in mind that without that cell phone, um, there's not really another way for most kids these days to learn how to use the phone. Mm-hmm. They're either going to learn it on your cell phone or their own, unless you happen to still have a landline, which I just yeah. don't think is that common anymore. So things like ordering pizza can become part of the, mm-hmm. you know, part of the training wheels. Things like answering the phone when mom or dad call, like having your ringer on and having, cause that drives me nuts. Like if I'm trying to get a hold of my kids on a phone that, that I'm paying for and they're not answering, um, that's something that, that they should learn too. Like that's part of the deal, right? Yeah. Like this is for you, but it's also for me. <laughs> so lots of learning that can happen there. Yep. I love it. Well, good luck, Sherry. And thank you for sending in that question. Yeah. So our next question comes from Stephanie. This one came in via email. 
Stephanie says, I would love to hear about your experiences with your kids starting kindergarten. If you had options, what factors played into deciding where to send them? What things do you feel like helped prepare your kiddos for the transition? Um, any advice is welcome. Thanks. Oh, and she also asks, do either of you have any fun traditions you do around the first day of school? That's a lot of questions, some of which I feel like we've gone into in depth in the past and maybe others we haven't so much, but we do have a couple contributors who weighed in on this. Yeah, we do have some very wise contributors speaking to this question. And you're so right, Megan. Um, I think the question about choosing a school, um, because she said, if you had options, what factors played into deciding where to send them? That is something we've talked about several times and um, really dug into on the podcast. It's also something that usually comes up in like January, February, March for a lot of people. Um, whereas this summer that you're hearing this episode in late July, if you have a kinder starting this year, you are your their backpacks are purchased. You are like getting yeah. ready. So what we thought we'd do today is we're really going to focus on this um, question around how do you prepare a kid to start kinder, which many of you are doing, you know, this summer as you speak. And are there any fun traditions around the first day of school? And then we will link up um, some previous conversations around choosing a school. So to talk about this, we have Ashley on our team who is a kindergarten teacher. She's uh, in her 12th year, and she also has two kids, the second of whom is starting kinder this year. So she's a kinder mom and a kinder teacher. And we're going to listen to her response, and she really addresses this from those two different perspectives she has. First, as a mom, she talks about the traditions and rituals they have around the first day of school. And then, the you know, as she continues on in her message, you'll hear her talk about those key things to get a kid ready for their first day of kinder. And spoiler alert, it's not really about like whether they can read yet or practicing flashcards. It's really simple things that even if you've got a kinder starting in just a couple weeks, um, I think you'll love hearing from Ashley. So let's listen to Ashley now. Hi, I'm Ashley Schaflitzel. I am the mom of two children, Ella, who is nine, and Jake, who is five. Jake will be starting kindergarten this fall. And I am a kindergarten teacher, and I will be beginning my 12th year teaching. I wanted to share some things that we do on the first day of school to make it a little more special, and some things I believe as a kindergarten teacher help you know if your child is ready to start school. For the first day of school, we do not too much that's overly exciting because I'm also getting ready to start school, and it's a busy time of year for us. My son's birthday is also in August, so... It is just a crazy time, but we do a lot of little things that are special to our family and my kids look forward to. I have a cricket, so I will make my daughter a shirt and my son this year that is customizable and themed to like the grade they're starting. So when my daughter was starting third grade this past year, it said, her shirt said, I sparkled my way into third grade and had some stars and it was in a pink glittery font and she just loved it. When she started second grade, that was the year she had to wear a mask all year. So we had one that said, can't mask my excitement for second grade. It was just something special that she picked out the design for and then I made. And just a little fun thing for her to wear that made her feel special. And my mom made this for me and something I can do ahead of time, but still makes the first day of school special. We also have a special breakfast the first day of school and it's pancakes. When she's, she'll be starting fourth grade, so she will get a number four pancake. My son's starting kindergarten, so he'll get a letter K pancake. And to be honest, I will make these the night before, put them in the refrigerator, and then heat them up in the morning. I'll put some sprinkles and whipped cream on it, and they think it's the greatest thing ever. Again, it's something I can do ahead of time to be ready for the day before and 
super easy. They think it's super special and works for me. We then get, we eat, we get ready, we go outside and we take our first day of school pictures and then we will be on our way and just something simple and fun that we do. If my husband is able, I have him go buy balloons and um, maybe if he's feeling really up to it, he'll hang streamers in our house to welcome him home on the first day. And I'll usually let them pick what they want for dinner because one, I'm exhausted and I don't feel like cooking and two, they think it's special. So something fun for them that they get to do and decide. And then we just kind of rest for the evening. We've even had ice cream as dinner on the first day of school. I believe that was two years ago. So it's fun, but it's something we do. Nothing over the top, but they look forward to it every year. As a kindergarten teacher, there are a couple things that I would look for besides academics to tell if your child is ready. There are, there are school districts everywhere that have different standards. And so I would follow what your school curriculum says and be in your, to check if your child is ready. But I also really believe that emotional and um, advocating for yourself are huge things that your child needs to be able to do. We practice that with my son. I have him, you know, if we're in a restaurant, go ask for a napkin, go ask for a straw, just so he's asking for help and learning that it's okay. And people are so kind to him because they know they're talking to a child. They're not going to be mean to him. So it helps him advocate for himself. Will your child ask for help if they need it? Or are they going to just kind of sit there and worry all day? I've had kids who've had accidents and have never told me, but I absolutely would have helped them. So make sure your child knows how to speak up for themselves. Can they find a friend or ask somebody to play if they're by themselves on the playground? Or everybody's going to be new on the first day. Will they be able to make friends? Or if everybody else is making friends, are they going to stand back? How are their social skills? Are they able to problem solve? In my classroom, we have a routine for everything. There's a place for the pencils and where to get a pencil if you need it, or a crayon or a piece of paper, where your pencil box goes. Can they follow those routines? Or if their pencil breaks, would they be able to stand up and go get a new one? Can they? problem solve? Can they advocate for themselves? Just little things that don't seem like they'd be a huge deal, but they really do matter in kindergarten. Lastly, I believe that your child has to be interested in learning. Sometimes when a child's on the younger end, they're not quite ready to sit down for a longer period of time and learn and listen just because they're not mature enough. And that is okay. Um, My son certainly wouldn't have been ready last year, but this year he knows what to do and what is expected of him. His preschool has done a really nice job of preparing him for that. And um, if your child is excited to learn and excited to go to school, or even if you do library time or different activities with your child, do they look forward to that and do they know how to handle those situations? Those are the things I look forward to. I can teach a child who knows nothing, and I've done it before. If they're willing to learn, if they're willing to try, if they know it's okay to make a mistake, we can learn from it. And just having the right attitude towards learning and trying. And it's really hard for kids who are perfectionists or are scared to try to learn because they either won't attempt or they won't tell me they don't know. And then I don't know how to help them. I am really excited for you and your child starting kindergarten. And I hope they have an amazing year. Okay, Megan, I was laughing because. I I love Ashley's kindergarten teacher energy. And I also love that she was like, we don't really do 
that many special things for the first day of school. And then she listed like 17 really cute first day (laughs) traditions. And I love it. And, you know, there will be some listeners who will do all of those things and some who will be like, nope. And that is okay. We have room for all of it. Um, So let's hear now from our contributor, Joanne, who has two boys, both have survived starting kinder. And she has a really great tip um, for kind of giving kids a little boost of confidence on their first day and helping them build a relationship with their teacher. So let's listen to Joanne now. Hi, Stephanie. I have two boys. They are 10 and 6. My six-year-old was in kindergarten last year. One thing that I've started to do on the first day of school or camp or other things like that is um, letting them wear something that they like and that's eye-catching. So for my 10-year-old, he happened to be wearing a pin on the first day of kindergarten for our local bakery. And his kindergarten teacher on the first day saw him and within a second, she zoomed in on this pin and said, oh, do you like that bakery? I love that bakery too. And she started asking him questions about what he liked there and it really um, helped him feel comfortable within a few minutes. My younger son wore a T-shirt on his first day of kindergarten with a fox on it, like a big fox. And I think his teacher also commented on his T-shirt and asked him about animals. And that really um, got him talking about things that he liked. So that's my tip for starting kindergarten, just putting your kids in something that they really like and that might catch the eye of the teacher so they have something that they can start talking to your kid about. I loved that. I mean, I'm just thinking about Um, if I'm ever in a position where I'm trying to meet 30 new people all at once, like a teacher is on the first day of school, it takes me a really long time to recognize, you know, faces, let alone remember names. So I think that the tip of like giving them a conversation starter is so smart, like not only for the kid, but also like what a nice gift to the teacher. So I love that. I love that too. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. 
Haya's chewable kids vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. All right, we are back and we have a question from Carrie. Carrie gave us a bit of background. Her kids are now 11, 9, and 5. They live outside Chicago. And her oldest really had a tough time through COVID. And she gave us a bit of background, but uh, suffice to say, she thinks they're entering this bigger kids, bigger problems, been going through some really tough stuff with the 11-year-old. Um, and she says, my question is really about momming through these tough times. Both of you have talked about or implied that your big kids have had some more serious issues or life twists. So I'm wondering how you kept yourselves level as moms during those times. She says, first, do you have any tips for keeping up with your own mental health when one of your children is suffering? I've heard people say that you're only as happy as your saddest child, and I don't want that to be the case. So how can I help him if I sink into depression or anxiety, too? And she goes on to ask, and second, how do you keep one child's problems from impacting your relationship with your other kids? For example, I felt some relief when I've been with one of the, quote, easier kids and then immediately felt bad about feeling that relief. So, uh, Carrie, first of all, we see you and we hear you. Mm -hmm. And yes, we have alluded on this podcast to some tough times with our bigger kids and we don't always share details and neither did Carrie. And the cool thing is we can have this conversation without knowing exactly what's going on with her 11 year old, except that it's heavy. It's hard. And she's thinking seriously about taking care of her own mental health and not losing sight of the relationship with the other two kids, which I think are probably the the top two things I would consider as well. So where do you want to start, Megan? Well, I just want to address and Carrie, I think you're like on the right track with the way you're sort of approaching that idea that you're only as happy as your saddest child. I mean, I know there's truisms out there. We make fun of them a little bit. Sometimes I use them (laughs) in a lazy way, but this is one that I think is almost toxic. Like it feels to me like, just like we mentioned in the last episode, when we talked about the emotional labor, Mm -hmm. um, the invisible labor of motherhood, um, being expected to be on the same emotional wavelength as your least happy child to me just feels so unfair. Like what an unfair expectation that that would ever be on you. Not to mention, like, like you said, Carrie, like really unhelpful to the kids. Um, if you're, if you're buying in and like reaching them at their level and they're a two-year-old who tantrums all day, like, how is that going to work out? And then now take that forward to maybe 11 or 12 year old whose problems are different, but it's not like you're still allowed to have an autonomous mental state that that is not like brought down by the people surrounding you. So I just want to like validate you there that I think you're just thinking about that um, in a way that's healthy for you. So how do you do that? Um, Man, like yoga and therapy, Sarah, is that the joke now? Like everything points back to yoga and therapy, but seriously, like figuring out what, how to keep your cup filled, um, 
how to take things in small doses, but then walk away from them, I think is like really important. So you can be empathetic and sympathetic and listening and um, hearing and helping and not be part of the problem. Like it's Mm -hmm. still not your problem. It's the, you know, it's, it's the clouds, not the weather. It's not like, Mm -hmm. it's not your identity to take on your child's problems. And I would, I've found myself in that situation of having to remind myself that of a lot of that a lot with five kids. Um, and then I guess, you know, the, the question about how to keep one child's problems for impacting your relationship with the other kids, Sarah, I know you're going to have things to say about this too, but like, it's totally okay to prefer spending time with the easier child. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's it's human. How could you help it? I mean, otherwise it's just like, you're just self-flagellating. It's like, it's, it's not, it wouldn't be real to pretend like it's just as enjoyable to spend time with a kid who's having a really hard time and maybe taking it out on you as it would be to have, you know, to be spending time with whoever is the easier kid in your house right now. And that can change dramatically from month to month. So maybe it's not always going to be that kid. Um, Sarah, we talk a lot on the show about how things can be like, you can meet the the needs of a kid where they are, but it's not always going to be equal. Like it can yeah. be fair, but not equal. Mm-hmm. So maybe meeting that child's needs right now has nothing to do with you enjoying it. Right. right. It's That's just like point. getting it done. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Cause I know you'll have things to say about this too. Well, no, you were, I mean, I was just nodding along here to everything you were saying. Um, so I will just, I guess, pick up, pick up where you left off. Um, the first thing I want to restate is yes, you do not need to feel guilty for acknowledging that one of your kids is harder than the other. Like, I just feel like moms get a free pass. In fact, I will not in the presence of my children. Of course, I'm not talking about labeling them in front of, but in the safety and privacy of my own adult relationships, I will make jokes about having a favorite child in different, like you said, Megan, in different seasons. I have one, uh, favorite quote unquote, favorite child of, I'm going to say the last like year or two, who is the child I never would have thought would have been my easiest kid. And lo and behold, was for a year or two, because that's what happens in families is people go through seasons and you're allowed to go through a season where you don't feel like your best self, where things are really, really hard. Your kid is allowed to go through a season where things are really, really hard. Um, And one of the things I think came through to me in Carrie's email is this desire to almost maintain not perfection necessarily, but maintain like her standards of what it looks like to be a good mom to three kids. And that is something I am learning, actively learning right now is sometimes the definition of success looks very different. Sometimes getting through a day can be the measure of success. Um, Whereas two years ago, when these kids were at different ages and stages, you had a different, um, like a different bar for what made a day good or a week successful or a month fun. And that bar is allowed to move. And I would just say in terms of the question of like how to take care of your own mental health or not sink into depression and anxiety too, like a big one in addition to yoga and therapy is just acknowledging that this season of life might just be hard full stop. You, It may not be your job to make this season look or feel or be experienced to be easier. It just is. It just is the season that it is. is. And you're already doing so much. Um, 
The other thing that came through, and I could be totally projecting because this is also a me thing, is this felt like a Carrie who has assumed that this is her job to do all by herself. Mm. And I don't know, obviously, anything about the co-parent situation or even the extended family, grandparents and um, teachers and therapists and the support team. But I know it's a common thing for moms to just take these hard seasons and almost treat them like a project to manage, just like we do with the summer calendar or like the back to school shopping. Like, And um, just a reminder that you are not alone. I don't know your situation, but I bet that there are those willing to step into all kinds of different roles, not just like delegating some housework or some childcare or giving yourself a day off once in a while, but even sharing some of the emotional load of this. And that might look like talking to a friend or a therapist, but um, it's a, it is a hard lesson to learn that you don't have to do this or solve this by yourself. Um, Yes. Everything that you just said, Uh, one other thing I would love to say about this that kind of came to mind as we were just, as Sarah, as you were talking about how someone might be your quote, favorite kid unquote for a while, and then things change. And I just think one of the things, and maybe this is just a validation of all moms out there who are dealing with these little personalities under their roofs, um, and trying to also take care of themselves and, and maybe maintain a, um, other really important relationships in their lives, like a marriage or a partnership and like close friends and all those things and work relationships. Like your kids are human beings and you're a human being and everybody has different personality quirks and moms are in some cases, you know, I'm going to say expected to, and maybe it's expectations we put on ourselves. So it's very fair that the world doesn't expect this of us, but we expect it of ourselves to like be the one person who equally adores every person in the house at all times. Mm. And I just like, think about your friends or your social circle. I know that I have people who I absolutely adore in short, in small doses. Like they will be the person I would love to go catch up with for coffee. Mm -hmm. And, and then I don't need to see them again for a while. In fact, I would rather not because for whatever reason, they're just really intense or like, Uh, there's just like, we don't have that much in common. Maybe our personalities clash. If we get too close, things get rough. Like there's all kinds of people like that out in the world. And your kids also have elements of personality types that are going to great and not be Mm -hmm. something that is easy for you. Now, if they're your child, you don't have the option of just going to coffee with them once in a while, then ignoring them. But that doesn't mean like they're, they're, they get to be their own people. It doesn't make them any worse yeah. or, or better. It just means that they're their own people. And like, you all have to learn how to get along and navigate the way that you are together. And that doesn't mean everyone is always going to be the like easy kid that you can just hang out with all day long. Like not all kids are going to be that kid. Yeah. And I think that we should give ourselves a break that, and just recognize that, um, those relationships may mellow over time or strengthen over time. You may find that the kid that you have a difficult relationship with at five, you'll have a great relationship with at 10. Then maybe it gets rough again and then gets good again. Like that's just kind of life. And I wish moms gave ourselves more of a break to recognize that, that humanity happening in our house, in our, in our household units. Yeah. And I think what changes between the baby toddler preschool years and the preteen and teen years, we, we talked about this recently and I I won't remember when, why, how, 
I guess it was when we talked about sharing about our teenagers. But but something that shifts is um, people aren't talking about the details of what's going on as much on the playground or in the school pickup line. Because as we've established, they can be more private or just harder to explain in a in a soundbite. And the result of that is you can feel very alone in what you're going through. And my guess is that with Carrie talking about this 11 year old kind of getting into some heavier times, maybe even sooner than peers could potentially feel really, really alone. So whatever Mm -hmm. you can do, Carrie, to remind yourself that you're not, um, it could just be by reading, you know, inspiring stories online, or you may want to actually talk to someone who will, who can match you in season of life, because I think it is very lonely if your peers have what seems on the outside to be these hunky-dory like family situations and you're going through something much heavier. I think that can feel really isolating. Um, But if you to back to the toddler preschool years, if you think back to what we would say to a mom who's just in the throes of three-nager behavior stuff or a baby who just will not sleep. Like we would tell that mom that she can try the tricks and tips and try the strategies um, and do all the right things. And it still might just need some time to show what works and what this little tiny human needs. And that sometimes patience and waiting and like, I don't know, six months looking back and like, oh, we have made some progress like a year. Wow, this is feeling a little bit easier. But that feels harder sometimes with these bigger, more private situations um, because nobody's talking about it. Nobody can say right. like, oh, for me, that lasted about a year and then it got a lot easier. Um, I, I wish people said that more about specific, you know, preteen and teen problems. But I don't think I don't think people are talking about it as much. No, they're not. And it's well, there's a lot of reasons for that. But yes, it can feel very isolating for sure. And I love the idea of reaching out so it doesn't feel so alone. Well, we're here, Carrie, and we see you, and you're doing great. So, okay, our final question today comes from Aaron, who lives in Atlanta and has three girls, seven and a half, four, and 11 months. And she says her question is really about the older two who are a little over two and a half years apart. They fight all the time. <laughs> she says, um, I know a lot of it stems from the younger one always wanting to do what the older one is doing and the older one getting to the age where she wants to do more big kids stuff. So she says, my question is, are there specific strategies you've used or taught your older kids about how to deal with, quote, annoying younger siblings? And conversely, strategies you've implemented to help the younger one not be so annoying. She doesn't say that. Not bother the older <laughs> one so much. Um, yes. and, and she also goes on to just say she doesn't want that younger one to like feel like she's quote the problem and develop that as part of her identity. But sometimes she is the problem. And that like, that's uh, so we've just all been here. We, we have been here, Aaron. Well, and I think, and Katie from our team has a great response that I'll let, um, that we'll let play in a second here. But I think that, you know, just like with anything else, it's okay to point out behavior without like assigning the behavior as a personality trait. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sarah, you and I have talked about our family dynamics growing up. And I did in some ways see myself as kind of like the annoying younger sibling because my older siblings were annoyed by me. And I'm not sure there's anything my mom or dad could have yeah. done to keep me from absorbing the message that I was kind of an annoying younger sibling. It's just, and that sort of like colored 
how I felt about myself, like probably into high school and a little bit beyond, like, am I annoying people? Am I bothersome? But I got over it. I learned some coping skills. Is it perfect? It would be great if we could all like be fresh without any societal or cultural or family of origin junk put on us. But like, I don't think that's actually humanly possible to be just like, you know, pure. (laughs) I so agree. And again, I feel like we keep ringing this bell of like, whose idea was it to put it on moms to (laughs) prevent that? Like we need another thing to worry about. So while I totally understand why Aaron would, would worry about that and not want um, a younger sibling to, to grow up with the complex that they are annoying or that they're not included all the time. And that to have that color, their future, like exactly to your point, Megan, I don't know that there's much you can do. I don't feel like that should be on your to-do list, Erin. She, we, there's so much that goes into that. And we, when we fixate on that, we tend to fixate on the negative. And when in fact you can't have the negative or the negatives without the positives and vice versa. So there's also wonderful life lessons she's learning from being the middle of three sisters and wonderful tools and strategies she's learning from growing up in your specific home with you as a mom, et cetera, et cetera. You can't, you can't extract it all. Like you said, Megan, and like remove those family of origin dynamics. They just, they just are what they are. So then I, I do love the question of like, are there specific things we've done to help olders maybe have a little like perspective and help youngers, mm-hmm. you know, like build their tools and strategies. So I, I do love the way she asked the question, but I just really agree with you that I don't think it's mom's job to prevent or shape or control those sib- yeah. sibling identity roles to that degree. Well, Sarah, and you've spoken to the being an, an older, an eldest, yeah. same thing, right? Like there was nothing that your mom probably could have done to prevent you from feeling a little superior. Right. And I was very annoyed all the time yeah, and, and annoyed all the time. Right. Like that was like, you know, the little one was the annoying you were the annoyed, uh, but like neither one of those is a great label to carry around in your life, like chronically irritated or chronically obnoxious. Nobody wants to think of themselves that way. And yet they're sort of true. Like it's sort of true that both of those, as far as like another person's perspective, you were chronically irritated and from your perspective, like the little ones were chronically annoying. So it's all perspective. Uh, Before we go into Katie's answer, I did want to say that in our um, house rules episodes, and I I can't remember if the majority of these were in the sibling harmony one or the road trip. We had a couple that I think had a lot of really good strategies for dealing with some of these. And one of them that I, that just stuck in my mind because I thought it was so smart was like, if you, I think, what it was, was the rule in her house was if you're in the car um, and someone is annoying someone else, the annoyer has to stop. Right. But if they're in the house, the annoyed person has to go into their own room or go away. Yeah. And I thought that was so smart because it's like, it doesn't actually assign a label to either person. It's more like if we're in a confined space, we all have to behave in a way that's like the least extra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But if we're in a home where there's like room to spread out, then everyone gets to be kind of themselves and as much as much extra as they want. And if you don't like it, you can move like you can go someplace else. So I just thought that was one of those. And it was very smart. I know we can link to both of them, though, because I don't remember which episode that was in. Yeah, those those house rules ones do have probably like the they extract the very wisest tools and strategies from our community. And there is a whole one on siblings and a whole bunch of other sibling stuff, like you said, in the road trip one. So 
Um, should we listen to Katie? Because Katie has three boys and uh, some experience in this area and some really great specific strategies to share. So let's yeah, listen. Let's do that. Hey, Aaron, this is definitely a struggle I can relate to since my two eldest boys are very similar in age to your oldest girls. And uh, it sounds like they have very similar temperaments. So one thing that has worked in our family is carving out specific times and um, protected spaces for them to play uninterrupted by their siblings. And so in our family, this looks like quiet time, which we still do every day. Even though our two oldest boys share a room, we have them do quiet time in different places. And so if one of them really wants to work on something that they don't want to do with their sibling, this is the time to do it. And so we suggest like, hey, this would be a really great time to work on that puzzle or um, build that thing that you got for your birthday or write that story that you've been wanting to write or whatever it may be. Um, We also treat their beds as private spaces. So if they ever just need like a break and some space from their sibling, that is a spot that they can go that their sibling is just not allowed to be on. So even, I feel like even in a small house, this is something that um, is pretty easy to implement. And then finally, I will just say that We also do mandatory brother time, I call it. I guess in your family, maybe it would be sister time. And these are chunks of the day where they are basically required to play together. So maybe I'm working on dinner or taking care of something else, and I need all three of them just to be playing together. And so often, if we're having behavior issues with the middle one, I will say, uh, you know, out loud to everybody, younger sibling is learning to share or is learning to not do this or to do this. And like, let's help them. Let's show them how to do it. And I will say kind of like, this is normal. This is what we're learning. This is what we're working on. Um, And sometimes that means that the older sibling is kind of having to play down with something that they might be maybe have outgrown a little bit, or maybe it looks a little bit more like parallel play. Like maybe they are working on a Lego or doing something next to sibling who is playing with dolls or dinosaurs or whatever, and they can kind of find a way to um, do it together. Um, But I feel like that helps the older one be a little bit more patient if they know that they have. places and spaces and times where they would be able to do their own thing uninterrupted. I hope this helps. Okay. Well, I love all of those um, tips from Katie. And I especially think that last one about giving language to um, like almost building emotional intelligence among your sibling set for what everybody's working on, what their strengths are, what, where they're growing. I, I also do this at home and I think I do it when a kid makes progress in an area that's particularly challenging for them, whether that's patience. um, And I might say something like, you know, patience has been challenging for Reed and Reed, thank you. I noticed that you were like, you made an extra effort to be kind that time. So thank you. And like sort of acknowledging, 
always with my kids, I find myself using praise or acknowledgement more for the things that are hard for them than the things they do naturally brilliantly. And that's true, whether it's like academics or something art or achievement. But I think it's also true with um, these like emotional and relational skills that these these are imperfect humans developing. And if you have three of them, they're going to be bumping up against each other in all kinds of ways forever, as long as they're under your roof. So I really like Katie's idea to verbalize that, especially with young children, that it's not just like we don't hit in our family and that's a rule. And then this kid broke it and here's the consequence. But we are working on how to relate to each other. And and sometimes one kid is going to show up very imperfectly for that. Um, And so you can have your consequences and you can have your your tips and tools and strategies, but also to give language to the fact that nobody's expecting perfection and nobody's going to show up ready formed for a perfect sibling relationship. And what I mean, if all of us had that language as kids, just just think where we'd be, Megan. Yeah, (laughs) so much better. I'd be so much less annoying. How about you? Would you be less grumpy? (laughs) I mean, oh, my gosh. No, probably not. Um, well, thank you for that question, Aaron, and for Katie to help sort through it. Um, thank you everyone for listening today. We, we go a whole nother week before talking to you again next week, but you do have that mother of reinvention episode that we mentioned. Yeah, that comes out this Thursday. So you can look for that. Um, the link will, I think we could just like plop the unlive link in the show notes and you can check it out later, but you can also just look for mother of reinvention with Megan Francis, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And that one's going to be all about. I don't know, like me turning 45, like this phase of my life, looking toward empty nest, um, how I'm kind of working toward those goals that I have. And also a little bit more about season four and what we've got in store for that. So give that one a listen. Yeah, I'm excited to join you over there. So we'll talk to everybody there on Thursday and right here next Tuesday. So we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.